Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16 is what we'll be expounding tonight. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. The title of the message tonight is Eating Our Fruit. Eating Our Fruit. There's an old saying, you make your words sweet because you may have to eat them one day. And that, that's very, very true. It's the same way with the fruit, our actions. And I thank God that salvation is by the grace of God alone. And not by our works. I'll repeat that again. Salvation is by the grace of God alone and not by our works that being said, our works are a very important part of our Christian life. Our works are a very important part of our faith in God. I believe everyone would agree with that. If we love God, we need to keep His commandments, don't we? So here's a kingdom truth for us tonight. And this will preface our exposition of verse 16 tonight. We are accepted by God based on Jesus' work. We are rewarded and chastised by God based upon our work. Repeat that again, kingdom truth. We are accepted by God based upon Jesus' work. We are rewarded and chastised by God based upon our work. If you'll hide that in your heart, if you'll remember that, then when you're reading certain scriptures or you hear somebody say something about faith or works or our duty to God or something like that, and allow that kingdom truth to help keep everything in its proper place so you have the faith where it goes and the works where they go. And, and uh, so where God accepts us as his child eternally into heaven and with eternal life, based upon Jesus' work, God chastises us and rewards us based upon our work, which is based upon our faith in Jesus' work. That makes sense? In tonight's verse, Solomon begins by talking about, look now in Proverbs ten sixteen, the labor of the righteous. The labor of the righteous. Simply put, a righteous person is someone who does what's right in the sight of God. Now, Brother Richard, I thought we're justified by faith and we have the righteousness of Christ. That's true. But remember, we are accepted by God based upon Jesus' work. We are judged, or, or rather rewarded and, and chastised by God based upon our work. Just because we put our faith and trust in Christ and we're forever justified by our faith in Him doesn't mean that we can go off and live however we want to and not accept, not expect God to hold us accountable while we live here on this earth. He will. And, and hold us accountable eternally as well. Uh, our eternal rewards or the lack thereof will be based on our temporary service here on earth. Okay? 
Again, this isn't talking about us being accepted into God's kingdom. It's talking about our status, if you will, in that kingdom. Jesus spoke about those that do the commandments and those that don't. And he said, they will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. They'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. So you get into the kingdom of heaven based upon Jesus' work, but you're least or great based upon your work, based upon your faith in Jesus' work. I hope that makes sense. But a righteous person is someone who does what is right in the sight of God. We're talking about practical righteousness, not imputed righteousness. Do you know the difference? And I want to make sure and cover all this. When, when Israel offered that sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, and one goat goes off in the wilderness and all the sins of Israel goes off with it, and the other goat sacrificed and the innocent blood gets put upon the mercy seat, and God transfers the sins of those people to the goat, transfers the innocence of the goat, which represented Christ, to the people. That's imputed righteousness. That's what Paul talks about when he says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So I'm, when God sees me, he sees me in the righteousness of Christ. That's my imputed righteousness. What is given credit to me based upon what Jesus has done. But the Bible also deals with the subject of practical righteousness. Is King David in heaven? Absolutely he's in heaven. Was David righteous or unrighteous when he had Uriah killed and slept with his wife? He was unrighteous. Was he, was he righteous in the eyes of God as far as being accepted by God? Yes. That was imputed righteousness. Was he righteous in the eyes of God practically? No. He did an unrighteous thing. So I want you to understand the difference there. And if you don't understand that difference, then you'll read scriptures in the Bible and you'll get confused and you'll get scared. and You, don't, you won't know how to treat certain verses in the Bible. As people who've been made righteous through Jesus Christ... We need to be laboring for him. The labor of the righteous. A righteous person should be a laboring person. Would you agree with that? Man, Jesus worked for us. Now we need to be working for Jesus. We need to have faith that works by love. Not working to be saved, but out of thanksgiving, praise God, that we are saved. We need to be laboring for him who died for us and rose again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So we need to be not living for ourselves in this very, very brief life that we have.
We need to be living for him who died for us and rose again. And listen, church, there's plenty of work for every righteous person in the kingdom of God. A righteous person should be a laboring person. And if you want to work for Jesus who lived and died for you, there's plenty of work for you to do in the kingdom of God. Here's a kingdom truth. Jesus works wherever he goes. When you read about him in the Gospels, and you watch him go to one city or another city or wherever, you never see the Bible say, and Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee, and there he laid out a blanket upon the beach and chilled. You don't see that. Even when he went off and to by himself, you see him praying. But Jesus occupied and redeemed every bit of time that God gave him when he was here on earth. Everywhere he went, he went with purpose. He bore fruit unto God. He labored in the kingdom everywhere he went. A lot of people love to post on social media this is us here and they stand in front of some place look we were here I love it my mom and dad uh, yeah, I, hope, I hope you're not watching I don't think so I don't think any whoever said this it was anywhere remotely close to us but it was funny my mom and dad went to uh, uh, the Mount Rushmore a year or two back and they had their picture taken in front of Mount Rushmore, and you see all those faces carved into the rocks. And someone got on Facebook and said, how beautiful, where are y'all? <laughs> you know, okay, well. <laughs> but, but we love doing that, don't we? Here I am, look at me here, look at me there. In the Bible, it wasn't about where Jesus went, it's about what Jesus did where he was. Everywhere Jesus went... Everywhere he still goes today because Jesus is still working in his kingdom today. He hasn't stopped. Jesus works wherever he goes. So if you go with him, he will put you to work. You get it? Jesus works wherever he goes. And if you go with him, he will put you to work. The Gospel of John chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. John 2, 1 through 8. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the serpent, serpents, serpents, my goodness, the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I tell you what, that's one thing that Mary said she got right. Whatever he says unto you, do it. You'll never go wrong doing what Jesus said. 
And there were six, and there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. Why are we reading this when we're talking about us, the labor of the righteous? Everywhere Jesus goes, he works for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Jesus was helping these people at this wedding feast by providing them wine to drink. He's not intoxicating them. He's giving them juice of the vine. But he's providing them wine to drink. Now I want you to understand. Jesus didn't need water put in those water pots to turn water into wine. Would you agree with that? Who made the water in the first place? Jesus did. He's the one that made the heaven and the earth. The great uh, deep with the darkness. He's the one that divided the water from the dry land and let the dry land appear. He's the one that took water and put it up above the firmament and left the, le the other collections of the seas below the firmament. And it was so and God saw that it was good. All of that was Jesus. Jesus didn't need water in those water pots to turn that water into wine. He could have performed a miracle and filled the water pots. He flooded the whole earth once. He sure could have filled some water pots. Jesus didn't need water in those water pots to put wine in the pots. He could have just performed a miracle and just filled it up with wine. But that's not what Jesus did. He had people fill the water pots. And then he had them draw from the water pots. And then he had them bear what they drew out to the governor of the feast. They filled, they drew, they bare. And here's Jesus over here. You picture these water pots, all right? Let's pretend there's water pots right here. Here's Jesus. Here's the water pots. The governor of the feast. Brother, we'll let you be the governor of the feast tonight, okay? Brother Neil's the governor of the feast. And here's Jesus. Look, at he's got his cane. He's got a scepter there. Jesus is standing here doing nothing with the physical eyes that you can see. Nothing physically that he's doing. He's standing here. Mary says, do whatever he tells you. He says, well, fill the water pots up. Who's doing the filling, him or them? They are. He says, now dip out of the water pots. Who's dipping out, them or Jesus? They are. Jesus is still standing here. Maybe he's sitting down. I don't know. He says, now, now take it to the governor and, and give him to drink. Who's doing that? They're doing it all. Except for what they couldn't do. They couldn't turn the water into wine. But everything else, Jesus let those people do. And that's the labor of the righteous. Do you, know what, do you know what the labor of the righteous is? Do you know what they were doing when they took that wine and they shared it with the governor? They were taking what they couldn't do 
They were taking what Jesus did that they couldn't do and they were sharing it with somebody else. That's really all that we do. But he employs people in his service. They were laboring in the grace of Christ, sharing the grace of Christ. Here's a kingdom truth. Jesus did not do his work for men without employing the work of men. That's a deep truth. You'll hang on to it. Think about this with Jesus and these people and the wine. Jesus stood there. They filled. They dipped. They bore. But Jesus was the one who turned the water into wine. Jesus is the one who supplied the need. They were the ones who shared the need that he supplied. Jesus did not do his work for men without employing the work of men. And that's what Christ does. Those men couldn't turn water into wine but they could serve the wine he made. Jesus does the work we can't do and lets us serve it to our fellow men. Repeat it again. Jesus does the work we can't do and he lets us serve it to our fellow men. We couldn't do the work Jesus did on the cross. That it was him alone. Just like turn that water into wine. There wasn't a person there who could do that. But what Jesus couldn't do, he let everybody else do it. Same thing applies to us today as the body of Christ. We couldn't do the work Jesus did on the cross, but we can sure share it with others. Anytime we share the gospel, anytime we put a track out for somebody, anytime you put a sticky up somewhere, do you know what you're doing? You're taking the wine and you're bearing it to those who need it. Last week, our friend Chad, uh, Chad Wynn, he was here not too long ago giving his testimony. He may be watching tonight, I don't know. If you are, hello brother. Chad sent me a text message this week and he said he was out of town for the holidays. He was up in Colorado. I believe with in-laws up there. And while he was there, he went to a local gym to exercise. And Chad said he, he, he got out of his vehicle expecting God to give him the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody while he was in there. He went in with a purpose. I want to exercise, but I want to make this an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody while I'm here. So he grabbed one of our little black gospel booklets that he had picked up from the back while he was here. Thank you for whoever sets those out, by the way. Is that you that sets them out sometimes? Who else sets those out? Anybody else? You do, Miss Sherry? You know, when you set those out and supply them for people, you're all the same as handing them to the people that Chad handed them to. There's no difference. Someone picked one up the other day back there. They wanted to read it to make sure they understood and, and could always be reminded of what the gospel was, they told me. But he took one of those little black gospel books, booklets back there and he took it inside the gym with him. And while he was in the gym, he had another man 
there was another man there who was there with his son. And Chad got in a conversation with him about God. And uh, he told Chad, he said, you know, I need, to, I need to be talking to my son more about God. He was a Catholic man. He said, I need to be talking to my son more about God. Well, there you go. Old Chad whips that old book out on him. He says, here, you know. And the man took it and looked at it and he said, tonight, I'm going to go home and me and my son will read this together. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Do you know what Chad was doing in that gym? He was taking what only Jesus could do. And he was sharing it with others. He was bearing the wine that Jesus made so others could drink. Remember? Remember the Last Supper? Jesus took a cup of wine. He said, Drink it. This is the blood of my new covenant, of the new covenant which is shed for you. Drink it. Man, that's wine. The, the wine, that's the blood of his new covenant. That's a work only Jesus could do. We couldn't make the wine of the new covenant. But we can sure share it with others to drink. We're the body of Christ. And that means we get to share the love of Christ with our fellow man. Whether it's sharing the gospel or listen, not sharing the gospel is not the only thing that we can do. Maybe it's being the body of Christ simply holding someone's hand when they're afraid and just being with them and having a word of prayer with them, just putting your arm around them, having an encouraging word for them. The Hebrew word translated as labor in this verse is also translated as the result of our labor. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Leviticus 19.13 says, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. In other words, if someone works for you and you owe them money, pay them when you owe them. Pay them now. Don't say, well, I'll pay you tomorrow. Don't, he says, don't leave their wages inside the house. Give them their wages. That Hebrew word translated wages here is the same word translated labor in our text in Proverbs tonight. So it's not just the work, but it's the result of the work that those wages were his labor. It was the result of his labor. The idea being that we're not supposed to keep someone from the fruit of their labor. We should pay them on time what we owe them. So when you think of our labor tonight, when you think of the labor of a righteous person, think also of the fruit or reward of that righteous person's labor. Solomon said the labor of the righteous, look back in your text, tendeth to life. And that means the wages of a righteous person's labor for God is life. Kind of reminds me of a text in the New Testament, the wages of sin is death. The wages of righteousness here is life. Here's a uh, kingdom truth for us tonight. If we live as God commanded us to live, then we shall live as God intended us to live. Repeat that again. 
If we live as God commanded us to live, then we shall live as God intended for us to live. John said, I'm sorry, Jesus said in John chapter 10, 10, he said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So you have life, then you have abundant life. You have living and then you have living Jesus came to give us life, but he also came to give us a more abundant life. Do you know, to have, you know how to have eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how to have an abundant life? Follow the Lord Jesus Christ on whom you believe. Jesus said that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you want to have eternal life, everlasting life, then believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you want to have abundant life, then labor in the Lord Jesus Christ based on your faith in him. The fruit of the righteous tends to life. It will give you abundant life. A righteous life is an abundant life. Brother Richard, do we labor for eternal life too? In a sense we do, but we only labor that we might find rest. That's it. The Bible tells us to labor to enter into that rest. In other words, if you're going to work, then get busy at not working, <laughs> you know? We labor in the sense that we search for God's truth that we might find rest. I don't know how many of y'all have experienced it before, but I know for me, I had to labor to find rest. I had to search and pray and read my Bible and study different religions and say, God, show me the truth, because I had no rest at all. I wanted to know how I could be accepted by my Creator and be saved and have everlasting life. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus said, Labor not for the meat or the food which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So we have laboring for the bread that gives us eternal life. And then we have Jesus giving the bread. So the bread is a free gift. But sometimes you have to labor to get that bread. You have to search and pray and find as God is, is seeking you and drawing you. Then he will reward that labor. Some people work so hard to try to buy the next loaf of bread that if they eat it, they're only going to be hungry the next day. Jesus is saying, if there's anything that you want to work hard for, work for the bread that when you eat it, you'll never hunger again. Being in the sinful flesh, we may work to know the way of life, but we don't have to work to have it, thank God. 
That's something that Jesus gives to us, which I will give unto you. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Most people in this world are simply chasing fun and earthly treasure. That's all they're doing. But if you really want to live, then know Jesus and follow him. The reward of the righteous tends to life, but, look back in your text, the fruit of the wicked to sin. The fruit of the wicked to sin. Again, uh, the wages of sin is death. Uh, the gift of God's eternal life. But the fruit of the, of the righteous tends to life. There's a, there's a connection between righteousness and life and sin and death. The fruit of the wicked is sin. When you live unrighteously, the only payment you have for your labor is sin, which brings death, the opposite of life. Not just eternal death. When King David, I'll go back to King David again. King David is saved forever. King David's on his way to heaven King David was given an irrevocable covenant by God that his, his throne would last forever. But when David sinned with Bathsheba, David suddenly, he gets kicked off his throne. He's suddenly running. He's suddenly experiencing the lack of the abundant life that he used to enjoy. We're talking about a man who goes from slaying giants, writing psalms, getting revelations from God, to now hightailing it out of his own kingdom. That was the fruit of wickedness. And it robbed him of the life that God intended for him to live. If you live as God commanded you to, then you will live as God intended you to. If you don't live as God commanded you to, you won't experience life as God intended you to. There will be a deprivation of the abundant life. There will be no cancellation of your eternal life. Because the abundant life is based upon your work for Jesus. Eternal life is based upon Jesus' work for you. But the fruit of the righteous is very important. We have to understand our part in the kingdom of God. Sin steals, kills, and destroys the good life God created us to have. Notice that Solomon called the wages of the wicked the fruit of the wicked. The fruit of the wicked. Now, what do we do with fruit? I know what I do with it. I know what I did with it today. You put blueberries in that shake for me, didn't you, Tammy? I thought so. I'd taste them. They were good. What do we do with fruit? We eat it. We eat fruit. Here's a kingdom truth. Your life will bear fruit. And you will eat the fruit you bear. Your life will bear fruit. 
and you will eat the fruit you bear. Mark down in your margin or in your notes, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Isaiah chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. God says, For Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. What was that? That's, that's, the, 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 that's wickedness. That's unrighteousness. Their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. To provoke the eyes of His glory. Verse 9. The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. They've rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. So, God said that the wicked rewarded evil to themselves. That was the fruit of their doings. So, what do we have for the wicked? We have woe. (laughs) We have ruin. We have a fall. That's for the wicked. That's the, the fruit, the reward of their doings, and they have to eat it. And then God goes down here to the righteous, and he says, It shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Whenever you see the Israelites being taken captive in the Old Testament, you'll see that righteous remnant and God always providing for them. Just like with Daniel. Just like with uh, um, Joseph when he was sold into slavery. And guess who ended up eating the fruit of their doings? Joseph ate the fruit of his doings. He reigned. His brothers ate the fruit of their doings and they trembled and had to stand before him and, and they ended up having to bow down to him. But thank God, if we follow Christ in this life, we'll have the comfort of God saying, it'll be well with you. You'll eat the fruit of your doings. Young people sometimes foolishly say, well, I'm going to sow my wild oats. Oh, you'll sow them. And that fruit will bear. But you will eat the fruit of your doings. You better choose your fruit wisely. Because before long, you're going to have to eat it. And with that, tonight we'll close. A good, practical lesson tonight from God's Word. To recap what we went over. The labor of the righteous. How do we labor? We labor for reward, for discipline. And Jesus does his work, and then we serve it to others. The reward of the, of the wicked, we learn that in the end, we all eat the fruit of our doing. I thank God for eternal life. There's another fruit we can eat. It's the fruit of the tree of life. And that fruit is born at the cross. At the cross, we can eat the fruit of Jesus' doing.
and we can live forever. The fruit of our doing determines if our life in Christ will be abundant in this world or not. Father, thank you so much for all you've done. Thank you for teaching us your word. Thank you, Father, for dealing with our labor. We talk so much about grace, but Lord, there is obligation that we have to you. Obligation to serve you out of love for what you've done for us. And there is consequence for not serving you and not laboring. There's the promise of reward and there's the promise of loss of reward in discipline if we disobey you. Lord, I thank you that Samson is in heaven. But Lord, he's there by the grace of Christ. But Lord, he sure did not live the abundant life when he was serving outside the will of Christ. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.